0: y'all, I don't want to be a miserable old woman only remembering wrongs. Do you? I mean, that's what you'll grow into if that's all you do. Love never makes memories of wrongs.
1: Welcome to Mothering from the Heart, a program that seeks to reach out and encourage women in the everyday moments of life. Your teacher is pastor's wife, mother, and grandmother, Audrey Brogey. Today, Audrey continues part two of her series in 1 Corinthians 13 entitled The Greatest Love. In today's message, she looks at Paul's exhortation to believers to not keep records of wrongs. Keeping score of those who have wronged us can only lead to bitterness.
0: Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ also forgave you. There it is again. And don't you just love that? It's almost like the tension just leaves because God doesn't just leave us here with all these negative commands. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Put this stuff away. Get rid of this, get rid of this, get rid of this. You'll see the same pattern in Colossians chapter three. You'll see it in Ephesians. You'll see it all throughout the Bible where, where God gives you the negative commands of what you're not to be, not to do. But then he turns right around and he says, here's what you replace it with. Here's what you replace it with. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is becoming to a believer. This is, this is what we ought to be doing. And of course, there it is again. Be kind. Remember, love is patient. love is kind. Be tender-hearted, and that's a part of being kind is you're tender-hearted. You have compassion. You have a soft, sympathetic, empathetic heart. You have a gentle nature towards people rather than a harsh, abusive, I'm gonna tell them and give them what for. I mean, you know, in 1 Peter chapter three, the scripture tells us that we as women are to have a gentle and quiet spirit. It's precious in the sight of God. That's what 1 Peter three tells us. He points to Sarah. He points to the holy women of old when he's talking to women about how they should live with a mean husband, a, a, a mean guy. But that's what we're to have. We're to have a gentle and a quiet spirit that puts her hope in God. That's the foundation of it. It's not just, oh yeah, I'm just, I just have this quiet nature. No, I can, be, I can have a quietness, a quiet heart, a quiet nature about me because my trust and my hope is in the Lord, not in myself not in all my good deeds or whatever I might think highly of, more highly of myself than I ought. No, my trust is in the Lord. And that's why Sarah could have that kind of heart because rather than trusting in Abraham who, was, who put her in the harem twice, her hope was in the Lord, not in Abraham. And then he says, forgiving one another. Why? Because God forgave you. He gives that just like earlier. when He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You are sealed by him. You know, you have an inheritance with him. Don't grieve him. Here's why. And here he's saying, forgive one another. Why? Because God forgave you. God forgave me. And how is it that I can be so prideful sometimes as to try to punish people that I perceive has wronged me? Have I ever been wronged the way Jesus Christ was wronged? Have I ever been wronged that way? Have I ever been scourged with a whip? Have I ever had a crown of thorns buried on my head, the blood running down? Have I ever had a spear in my side? Have I ever had people mocking me as I hang naked? Have I ever had that? Have I ever been beaten and bruised and spat upon? Have I ever been wrong that way in the way that Christ was wronged? And he's the innocent one, never did anything wrong, enduring all of that for you and for me so that we can be redeemed because he set his love on us, his love on us. And this is why we can be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving each other because God has forgiven us. And see, here's the thing, when we walk with Christ, Christ, when we're close to Him, we cannot wait to show love to someone. We cannot wait to be kind. I just want an opportunity to show kindness to that person. We can't wait to show tender mercy, to be tenderhearted. We can't wait to forgive them. We can't wait for the relationship to be restored. We're not folding our arms and saying, nope, 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 nope. No, we can't wait to be reconciled. It's like the father of the prodigal son. Remember him? He was looking for his son to return. He could not wait to forgive him. He wasn't thinking, oh, well, when my son, if my son ever comes back, I'm going to give him the what for. And I'm going to say, I told you so. And I'm going to berate him. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. No. He couldn't wait to forgive him. He couldn't wait to welcome him back into his arms, back into the fold. But if we're quick to hold on to bitterness, we're just telling on ourselves. We're just telling on ourselves that we really don't love Christ and we've never really understood our forgiveness in Christ. Because we think more highly of ourselves than we ought and so we behave unbecomingly towards other people. 1 Corinthians 13, the next part says, Love does not seek its own, does not insist on its own way, one translation says. One says, Love is not selfish. By nature, however, that's exactly who and what we are. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. You hear that? All of us, each one of us, every single one of us, has turned to our own way. And yet, again, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of our iniquities, he's laid on Christ because all of us like sheep have gone, have strayed away. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 24, the scripture tells us, let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. And of course, he's writing this to the Corinthians. Remember how I told you, there's a bunch of spiritual babies, a bunch of prideful people in the church. They're fighting about everything under the sun. They're bringing lawsuits against each other. They're fighting over spiritual gifts. They're fighting over what teachers they follow. They're even bragging and boasting about the sexual immorality. There's so much even perversion in the church. But so Paul is telling them, don't seek your own good, but that of your neighbor. James 3, verses 13 to 18 says this, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, there it is again, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, I mean, love does not seek its own, and selfish ambition in your heart, and then he says, do not be arrogant. Love is not arrogant. And so lie against the truth. And later we're going to talk about love rejoices in the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly, natural, demonic. I mean, that's what he's saying about this kind of stuff. Is that what you want to be unbecoming in those ways where, that, where you're arrogant, where you're jealous, where you're a liar, where you have bitter jealousy, where you have selfish ambition? God says that that stuff is earthly and even demonic. And he, said, he continues, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure. There it is. You know, all this negative. And then he goes to what wisdom from above his wisdom is. is pure. Then it's peaceable. It's gentle. It's reasonable. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's unwavering. It is without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That is becoming. That's someone who's not seeking their own. And so, again, it begs a question, do you seek your own? Does it always have to be your way? Do you always have to be in control? Do I always have to be in control? Does everything have to be my way? And do you see why I have said a lot last time, and I say it, I'll say it again this time, we need God and his supernatural power to live this way. We need him to live it through us, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Because on our own, we're selfish people. We are to seek the good of others. Proverbs 11, verse 25 says, the generous man will be prosperous and he who waters will himself be watered. Romans 15, verses one to seven. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves because that's what we always want to do. We want to just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good. To his edification. I mean, who wants to do that? I mean, don't we just want to please? I want to just please myself. Why should I worry about his good and his edification? And then the scripture in Romans continues, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We're going to learn later, too, that about hope in this series. We might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance, there it is again, he's the one who gives it to us. It's not something I conjure up on my own. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another in Christ Jesus, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, he says, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. There it is again. Accept one another. Why? Because Christ accepted you to the glory of God. Mark chapter twelve, verse thirty-one. One of the uh, actually, I'm going to start with verse twenty-eight. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that he talking about Jesus had answered them well. He asked Jesus, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, the foremost is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there it is. We love ourself. We want our own good. We like to seek our own edification, but we're to do that for someone else. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Because here's the thing, y'all. If we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, and with all our strength, the natural thing is, is we're gonna love other people. We just are. We're gonna learn what God's love is like. We're gonna learn the love of the Bible. We're gonna learn God's love and not love is love and all the phrases that we hear out there because the world has just abused love. The world has all the wrong definitions of love. Now think about this in relation to your own home. Your home is not just about you. Love does not seek its own, okay? Love is not selfish. Doesn't always have to be my way. It's not just about mom even. Don't mess that up. Don't come in here with that mess. I mean, do your children feel unwelcome in mom's house? like the house and its furnishings are more important than they are. Now, of course, you set reasonable standards as you teach the value of property and personal responsibility, but your children should not get the fury of mom's wrath and anger if they mess up or if they're not perfect. They're children. It's our job to train them, but not just train them. Remember we talked about last time, you can give all the right instructions, but if you don't have love, you are just noise It's our job to train them in love. You speak the truth in love. And so to reiterate or say it a little bit differently, you're the manager and you have to set the standards and expectations in taking care of your home and helping your children understand all those things. But it's not just about you. Love does not seek its own. And then the next on the list is love is not provoked. And this means it's not irritable. The King James Version says, love is not easily provoked. Are you? Are you easily provoked? Does it just take nothing to set you off? I mean, the reality is this. There is a lot to be provoked about. There really is a lot to be irritable about. But again, I asked you earlier about your default demeanor. Is it your default demeanor just to be irritable? Do you wake up in the morning and you're just irritable? And they said, the one of the things you just have to say, Lord, help me not to be irritable. I realize my default is I'm an irritable person. I need your help so that I'm not irritable. Do your children see you as easily irritated? Better not bother mom. Better not go in there. She can get awful mean. She's cranky. Oh, mom's on the warpath today. Don't get near mom. Avoid mom. Is that how your children feel about you? Where it's more that way than it is. Oh, mom's in a good mood. Hooray, we better take advantage of it. Easily provoked. Love is not provoked. Provoked comes from the word provocation, meaning an action or speech that makes someone annoyed or angry, especially deliberately. So your husband or children or anyone does something earlier I asked you about, rude, they do something rude. But now say, do they do something or says something and your first reaction is to be provoked about it, annoyed over it, angry over it. It doesn't even have to be that they did anything rude. They just came in and said, what's for dinner? And you're like, what do you mean what's for dinner? You just always expect me to make dinner? Is your first reaction to be provoked, annoyed, angry? And if that's true, Why? Think about yourself. Why am I so easily irritated? Why am I so easily provoked? Now, think, And think about it this way as well. Perhaps God allows much provocation in your life because he wants you to learn not to be so easily irritated. If this is your thing and you're feeling convicted over this right now, you know what's going to happen this afternoon? you're going to have so many irritating things that are going to just be right in front of you. It's just the the way it happens because you need training. You need practice. You need examples of that so that you can walk with God and trust him through it. Instead of thinking, well, I'm committing this area of my life to the Lord, and I'm asking him that I won't be so irritated. And then you know what we often expect? Oh, it's going to be easy peasy and we're not going to have irritating things. Actually, some of the irritations will probably get greater. Some of the provocations will probably get greater. Why? Because you need practice. I mean, if your child can't seem to get the arithmetic problems, you don't you don't take the arithmetic problems away. No, you give them more. You give them a little bit harder You because they need training. They need more practice. They need to work on it more. So the more provocation in your life, the more opportunity you have and I have to exercise the fruit of the Spirit, to grow in our spiritual maturity. And then every time that we respond correctly and we depend on the Lord to help us through this, you know what? You strengthen that muscle. That muscle, that that not easily provoked muscle gets a little bit stronger. And then the next time that provocation, another provocation comes, you're like, oh, yeah, it's a little bit greater stressor. I'm going to respond correctly. And then God just, God just strengthens your, your irritation muscles, non-irritation muscles, I should say. He strengthens it and it helps you grow. Do you want that? Do you want practice in patience? Do you want practice in acting becomingly? Do you want practice in not being irritated? Well, God will help you. And he will bring some things along to give you practice, but it's going to be up to you. Are you going to rely on God, the Holy Spirit in you, yet not you, but Christ who lives in you to help you respond the way you ought to respond? Because if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The next is love does not take into account a wrong suffered. How about you? Do you keep a record of how others have wronged you? God is not saying here that we haven't been wronged. No, we have. We've all been, we've all suffered and and we've all suffered wrongly. We've suffered because we deserved it. And we've also suffered wrongly, innocently. God is acknowledging this, that we have, because he says, love does not take into account a wrong suffered. We've all suffered in this way. We have all been wronged. What God is saying is that love does not record all those wrongs so that we can go back and rehearse them over and over and over. So we can go look at our logbook and say, oh, yeah, on the date of this, this person wronged me. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That was like, you know, I forgot how, how badly they mistreated me. That's keeping a record. God says we don't do that. We don't rehearse that. We've already talked about what bitterness does to us. So do you rehearse over and over and over in your mind how someone has wronged you? And then they did this, and then they did that, and then they did this, and then they they did that. I mean, think about it. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that with your sins? I mean, God moves them as far as the east is from the west when we come to him. But there are people who love to keep records of how they've been sinned against. We're often the kind of people who remember what we need to forget and forget what we need to remember. So if we want to keep a logbook, let's keep a logbook of how we've been treated good, how we've been treated well, the blessings that God has given to us. You know, that Him. Count your your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. You'll be surprised at all the things. Oh yeah, then God did this and he did this and he used that person to do that. I mean, sometimes I think about people that I probably never even thanked during the times in my life when I've walked through so much grief. But you know, God in some, sometimes just brings it to my mind. And I don't even know who did it. Because God gives us so much. God remembers our sin no more. That's what the scripture says. Hebrews 8 verse 12 For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. God doesn't keep a record. I mean, there was a record of our wrongs that stood hostile to us, as Colossians teaches us. And it's, you know, but it was nailed to the cross when Jesus died. And he doesn't, and when we, it was nailed there. And when we trust in him, God doesn't remember it anymore. So all those sins too, that you committed or that you've committed, that you've been cleansed from. It's the evil one that wants you to remember those. It's the evil one that wants you to beat yourself up over those. And it's also the evil one who wants you to remember the wrongs that other people have done against you. He wants you to be trapped by those things. Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. And it's not that God can't remember, but he chooses not to hold it against us. It is finished. And that's his mercy. That's his grace. That's his love. And I told you, um, I think I told you last time how a few years ago I copied 1 Corinthians 13 on a poster board when I was going to keep my grandchildren and we worked on, I took it to their house and we worked on memorizing it together. And it was our theme for the days I was there. And I had this chart where I wanted them to record ways they saw each other show love. I wanted them to, you know, to see them encourage each other. And at first I was going to have on that chart, in fact, I did have it on the chart because I had it on the back. Um, I, you know, I was going to have them also uh, record ways they didn't show love, but then at some point, as we were memorizing the passage, I was just struck with, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. We're not going to record, we're only going to record the way we show love and the way you see each other show love. And, but I also told them, no, we'll deal with the wrongs as they happen, but we're not going to record them. We're not going to keep a record of them. And God taught me a lot that week through my grandchildren as we learned his word together. And y'all, I don't want to be a miserable old woman only remembering wrongs. Do you? I mean, that's what you'll grow into if that's all you do. Love never makes memories of wrongs. I mean, we all talk about old oh, memories, precious memories, and we think about the memories and we're making memories. Well, let's don't make memories of wrongs. That's a horrible thing to do. It's not becoming and another and a question here, when you hear of someone's wrongdoing, what do you think? How do you feel? And your answer will pro- will probably differ depending on the person guilty of the wrongdoing. If you think of someone you don't like, then and you hear hear about his or her wrongdoing, hmm, how do you think about that? But love refuses to take joy or satisfaction or pleasure from anyone's wrongdoing because a true believer loves Christ. The true believer has the heart of Christ. So it doesn't matter our personal and especially our sinful feelings about the one doing the wrong. So the question again becomes, do I really love Christ? There are no limits to Christ's love. First Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And the, the uh, context of this verse says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. And then Proverbs ten twelve, and we're going to end here. I'll say a few things before I end. Proverbs ten verse twelve says, "Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins." And I'd hope to get a little bit further today than I actually did, but we'll come back next time because we, we there's a lot more to say about this particular part of 1 Corinthians 13 that love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. There's much more that God wants to teach us through it. So let me close in prayer. Father, I thank you for our time today. I thank you for the kind attention of the women and girls in this room. And I thank you again for the women who are live streaming and who will be watching this later. Father, please use this passage in our lives. Father, please help us to be women who will take a good hard look at ourselves and our own hearts And that we would be women who would love you most of all. That we would love you with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, and with all our strength. Because when we do that, then we will love our neighbor as ourselves. We will bring ourselves under the truth of your word. We will lay aside all clamor and malice and, and slander and anger and wrath. And we will be kind to one another. We will be tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Why? Because you have forgiven us in Christ Jesus. And Father, I pray for a woman who might be listening to this who has never understood your grace, who does not understand that her works will never save her, that all of her good deeds will never make up for the sin that she has committed against you. Father, show her that it's only through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection that she can come to know you and that she can even have the ability to live this kind of life because it's not about us living this way. It's about you living this way through us. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth, who is our helper, who sounds the alarm when we get off track, who woos to us and calls us to obey you. Help us to walk by the Spirit that we we would not carry out the desires of our flesh. And it's in the holy name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen.
1: To listen again to today's message in its entirety, the second part of Audrey Brogy's series entitled The Greatest Love, use the Search the Scriptures app found in the iTunes Store or Google Play Store. You can also visit us online at searchthescriptures.org and click the Women's tab. Mothering from the Heart is a production of Search the Scriptures. Join us again next Friday at the same time as Audrey continues her study in 1 Corinthians 13. In the meantime, remember to always think biblically and mother from the heart.